God's kind of church. Have you ever thought about that? God's kind of church. Not the kind of church I like. Not the kind of church my mom had. Not the church that was back. Remember the church in the Dale? Oh, come, come, come. Church in the Wildwood. Come, come. Do you remember that? Okay, some of you do. Some of you are going, ha that was before my time. Have you ever had the opportunity to, and you can go ahead and turn your Bible to First Thessalonians. Have you ever had the opportunity to uh, um, build your own house? <laughs> when you finally got in, it was might have been a joy. But I'm telling you, along the way, there's a lot of frustration. Hello? I mean, every time you think you know what you want, the contractor tells you you can't afford it. It's not on your budget. Is it, have, I hit, have I struck a nerve yet? Yeah. Can you imagine building a house where there were no financial restraints? You could build it just like you wanted it. I used to get tickled at Jerry Clower back in the mid-'70s. We lived about eight blocks from the Clowers there in Yazoo City, and I used to get tickled at him. They, uh, they had built their house, their home, before uh, he had really busted into the big times. And uh, I remember with a big smile on his face, I heard him say several times, <clears throat> we built that house as big as First Federal would let us. <laughs> now, you have to be pretty old to know what First Federal was. That was before the SNL problem. But uh, uh, if you had the opportunity to build a house just like you wanted, how would it be? And that, that as I thought about that, it kind of rung with me is that, well, God can build a church just like he wants it because he has no resource limitations and because, quite frankly, he has already paid the ultimate price to build it just like he wanted it. And yet, and yet, I wonder if the local church today in America, by and large, is the design that he had in mind. So I thought that we would go to the church that is considered the model church in the New Testament. And we'll just kind of lift out some, some things that might help us compare ourselves to the model church and see where adjustments might need to be made. So if you will, if you found First Thessalonians, I will read the full first chapter. If you're able and would, I'd like you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. <clears throat> you know, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica, and it, and it is arguably the first letter that he ever wrote to anyone. He's, uh, as far as getting in Scripture, as far as being canonized. He begins, Paul, Savannah, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit, and you became imitators of, of us and of the Lord when, 
in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out, so we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer today that as we take a look at the church that many have called your model church, I pray that our hearts will be open and our lives will be ready to receive what you have for us tonight. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to think about the kind of church that God wants. What all would it entail? What, what all would it involve? You look at the church of Thessalonians, and you discover a church that was not without conflict, not without oppression, not without suffering. And yet, we come to the place where we can see that some attributes in them that would call them a model. So... How did they get to be a model church? What are some of the evidences or characteristics? I'm going to suggest three to you tonight. The first one is that they were established the right way. Established the right way. Now, most of you Bible scholars will know this, but I'll, for those of us who are not Bible scholars, I will tell you that we have a record of how the church in Thessalonica began in Acts chapter 17. Jesus traveled through a... a, a Amphipolis, Amphipolis, and Apollonia. You try to get up here and say it. And they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul was with them, and he was there for three Sabbaths. That means he spent three weeks, in the uh, three Sabbath days, and he went to the synagogue, and he reasoned with them from the Scripture, and he explained the gospel to them. And it says, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. Now, if we go on, we'll find out that the people in the community had a reaction. Every time, every time Paul went to a city, he either created a revival or a riot. And sometimes he created a revival that turned into a riot. This church was established the right way, and I find three things that make it established the right way. And these are our comparison points. First of all, salvation was their foundation. Salvation was their foundation. Now, I go back to Thessalonians chapter 1, and there are a lot of things that jump out at me that tell me that this church was focused on salvation of people. First of all, each one of the members, Paul was convinced that each one of the members were actually saved. That makes a difference. I mean, he, he, up here he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, he believed that they were in fact saved. I was reading Dr. John MacArthur, and uh, he just happened to work into two messages today. I don't read him exclusively, but I, I read Dr. MacArthur today. And he was talking about that in the church today, that it is important for people to be saved, to be in Christ. Over a hundred times, Paul referred to your salvation as being in Christ. And what, he, what Dr. MacArthur went on to say, he said, I'm afraid that in too many churches today, there are too many tares mixed in with the wheat. And the thing about tares and the wheat is you can't tell them apart until harvest. He says it's increasingly important, and I will tell you this, more so today than ever before, it is, it is important that spiritual leaders, that people who are elected positions of leadership in the church have a no-so type of salvation. Not guess-so, not hope-so, but they know-so. That they are in God through Christ Jesus, and they have a personal relationship and walk with Him each and every day. This means that they focus their lives on what He wants them to focus on. And they don't focus their lives on the selfish or the mundane. Salvation was their foundation and that, first of all, everybody was saved. And if you read here, you find the message trumpeted out from them. You find uh, um, that they had a good report about them because they had become an example to all people. And the way they become an example to all people is because the gospel came to them and then the gospel went out from them. It was their very foundation. The church that is God's kind of church is a church that focuses on the salvation of people salvation was their foundation but service was their function service was their function if you read if you read here you will find um, when you talk about their salvation this is pretty interesting can I, if you got your bible open just look here a second with me in verse 3 it speaks of their work of faith their labor of love and endurance of hope And then if you look down in verse 9, you find this. You find their work of faith being how you turned to God from idols. That's the salvation. Then you get to their service, and you find the labor of love. And down in verse 9, you pick it up that they serve the living and true God. You see, never, never mistake, being a believer is not coming sitting in a padded pew anybody can do that being a believer being like christ is laboring to serve the true and living god and that word labor in the greek literally means work to the point of exhaustion in ministry working to serve the true and living god now here's the question for us how much of our exhaustion comes from serving him And how much of our exhaustion comes from serving me? Not the preacher, serving self. You see, the church that is God's kind of church is established on this thing of service. I went Friday, I was talking about Rick Owsley, whom I'm pumped that he's going to be able to be with us next week. I was talking about Rick Owsley, but I went up to a golf course and we got talking, and for those in here who are golfers, it's a new type of ministry where, where we become caddies. 
instead of golfers. Now watch this. We become caddies. We're not going to carry the clubs. Get three or four guys to play in our tournament. We figure out a way to get it funded. All that's going to be taken care of. And then we just call them and say, hey, guys, these can be guys who have no faith in Christ Jesus. These can be guys who have uh, lost their faith. Now, you say, well, I'm not saying lose their salvation. I'm talking about now disconnected from the church. Or it can be people who have no church background, no just people who need to get, be closer to God. And so we invite them and we say, uh, would you come play in my group? Well, they say, yeah, how much does it cost? That's the first thing golfers ask. I'm, it doesn't cost anything. It's all paid for. I'm there. And so they know that they're in my group, and when they show up, they're shocked when they come out, and I have a caddy's bib on. And so I load their clubs on the golf cart. I'm not carrying four sets of clubs around. I load their clubs on the golf cart, and I clean their clubs during the day. I help them with this. I do everything a caddy would do, and I literally wash their feet like Jesus did in the upper room and serve them. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. With the right training, the caddy then commits to helping serve these guys. And they already had, this is the beginnings, and they gave testimony. This guy said, I did this in this tournament and on a video. And before the day was over, two of my four players prayed to receive Christ. Because of service. You want to get the attention of the lost world? Let us learn to serve like Jesus served. That's what they did. They were serving the living God because they were serving others. But not only was salvation their, their foundation, not only service was their function, but sharing was their focus. You can read up there in verse 1 or verse 2. We thank God for all of you, because we remember you constantly in our prayers. You know what? One of the things that's desperately needed in the church today is back to the sharing and bearing one another's burdens. Today, it's almost every man for themselves. I've said this before in this congregation. I'll say it again. The old song, and I'll never get all the words right, Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Trying to escape all your worries, sure would help or not. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Isn't this sad? And, you're, and, they're, and they're really glad you came. Isn't the sad part of that song is that it's a theme song for a bar and not a church. where we learn to share with one another, where we learn to serve one another, where we learn to care for one another, where we bear one another's burdens, where we share the difficulties of life. Isn't it, isn't it an indictment on the church that God wants that when people are at their lowest, the first place they run from is the church because somehow we have given the concept that you have to have it all together to be here. May I just say this? We have guests in the in this church tonight, if you're looking for a church home and you're looking for a perfect church, don't join this one. Because we're messed up on all kind of levels. God's still working on us. Now, let that being said, 
if you're perfect, don't come join this church because you'll be very unhappy here. You see, our Lord called, he's looking for a church that shares one another's burdens, that reaches out and encourages. Now look, let's don't leave somebody in the mud. If they've tripped and fallen in a hole, you don't just leave them there. You reach out, you embrace them, you help them clean off, and you help them move forward, and you try to help them avoid that hole from now on. You see, the church that God wants is a church that's established in the right way. It's established by making salvation for everybody a priority. That service becomes the norm and not the exception. And that sharing is an everyday, everyday life step. Now, would you like to be a part of a church like that? Well, some of you are not so sure. I fear that the reason some of us may not really care to be a part of a church like that is it would require us to do some service. I mean, it's a lot easier to sit and watch others do service. Rhonda and Barry, I know I pick on you, call your name every time, but... You know, people go, boy, they're a fireball. They're just doing great. And we're just enjoying watching Barry and Rhonda have their good old time. But listen, it'll really become great when it's not just Barry and Rhonda. It'll really become great when it becomes us. And it'll really become great when serving people and sharing with people is not the exception, but it's what we do. And we're about to get to that. Establish the right way. The second thing that I want to say to you is that the church God's looking for is the church that exhibits the right witness. That's what they did. They exhibited the right kind of witness. Do you know that every church exhibits some kind of witness? Here the scripture says the message, the Lord's message rang out. You became an example. You became imitators. You welcomed the message from the Holy Spirit with joy. So, the question becomes, how do we exhibit the right witness? How did they exhibit the right witness? First of all, they had the right models. They had the right models. Look, look here in the text. I love this part, and I love it when it just jumps out at you. It says in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That word imitator... And the Greek is the same word from which we get the word mimic. Does everybody know what a mimic is? If you don't, you need to have a four-year-old in your house. I know y'all think she's cute, but if you catch me on the right day, she's for sale. (laughs) The other night she crawled up in the bed between, and for those that don't know, that's our granddaughter, Piper, who thinks she's four, going on 42 crawled up in the bed between us and do you remember this game i think tina taught it to her every time every time we say something she repeats the same thing what are you doing she goes what are you doing i'm doing nothing i'm doing nothing i mean just do y'all know what i'm talking about you got it okay that is what a mimic is and what he and what and what paul is writing is that you want to be, you became the church that God wanted you to be because you chose the right model, the right 
pattern, the right standard. You became imitator, imitators of us, and you became imitators of the Lord. Here's the question. Who are we imitating today? Too many people want to imitate the wrong folks. I have some pastor friends that are fairly successful. We have some folks at First Gardendale. You know my relationship to Kevin Ham. Love Kevin Ham. Get a lot of ideas from him. By the way, I did tell them today, I said, uh, look, I'm so glad, I'm so glad y'all finally came down to get some really good preaching. You can go back in here, Kevin. And, and so we had a laugh, but I got the look, okay? But, uh, um, but you know what? We catch ideas from those guys, but we're not going to imitate. We're not a First Gardendale. We're not a Hunter Street. We are not a uh, Saddleback. We're who God put here. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to have the right models. We need to, 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 to have the right pattern, to, to look to the right place to find what God wants us to do. If we're going to be God's kind of church, our models need to be spiritual models, need to, need to have the, the, the direction of leading us to become more like Christ in here. So that people out there can recognize it when he sees it. But the church that God's looking for, God's kind of church, is the one that has the right models. The second thing, they had the right message. They had the right message. You know, we send out messages every day. When you go to uh, Jack's tomorrow morning to drink coffee, whatever you say about today in, your, in the church where you attend sends a message to everybody listening. When you go to work tomorrow, whatever you have to say about your preacher, your music minister, your choir, your instrumentalist, your Sunday school teacher, whatever you have to say sends a message to this world. These guys had the message. I love it. For the Lord's message rang out, he says in verse 8. Rang out. That word uh, in another translation is trumpeted. I used to be a trumpet player of sorts. Got a real trumpet player down here on the, on the fourth pew, Brother Teddy. Here's what I'll tell you. Nothing sounds any better than a well-played trumpet, and nothing sounds any worse than a horribly played trumpet. Thank you, Troy. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Whether it's played well or whether it's played poorly, you don't have trouble hearing a trumpet. The Lord's message trumpeted out. It was the Lord's message. What is the Lord's message? Here it is, that Jesus came from heaven to earth through a little, the womb of a little virgin girl in a manger. He lived and died a perfect, sinless life. He went to Calvary's cross where he died the death of a sinner, and he died for you and for me. He was put in the ground, graveyard dead. He rose from the dead three days later. He ascended to heaven, and now he's waiting to come back. Now, can you get excited about that message? If we can, and we connect with our Lord and our God and Father on Sunday, can we not tell somebody that message? Can we not give the right message? And when somebody says, how'd church go yesterday? Well, if that preacher hadn't talked so long, we'd all been good. If that music director hadn't seen those songs that we don't like, it'd all been good. I love Kevin Hamill on this point. Teddy and I were talking about this on the way back over. Somebody walks up and says, I don't like that song. Here's my permission for you, Johnny. Of course, you don't need it because you're leaving, so nobody's going to fire you, okay? Okay. 
Somebody says, I don't like that song. Say, well, good. It wasn't for you. You see, we're trying to approach the throne of grace with our, with our praise and our worship. And we're trying to bring from the throne of grace the right message to this community. If we're going to be God's kind of church, we've got to put some other things behind us. And we have to exhibit the right witness because we take our cue from the right models and because we deliver the right message. And the third thing is that we have the right motives. Oops. You say, Brother Jerry, I don't see motives anywhere listed in here. Well, here's what I will tell you. It is written all over there, all over this first chapter, that this model church wanted one thing. They wanted to rescue lost people from the darkness. They wanted to lift people from sin and shame and put them on their way to heaven. You know, we all have different kind of motives here. I remember Rick Warren, when I was at Saddleback three or four years ago, I remember him telling this story. I'm going to make up a name because I really don't remember the name. I tried to forget it. He said, we had this man. I'm going to call him Ted. No, I won't call him Ted because we got a Ted. We call him Johnny. Everybody else calls him Johnny. We, we have this guy, and we'll call him Fred. He said, we had this guy who came to Saddleback, and he'd been here a little time, and he said, Brother Rick, I think I'm leaving. He said, why? He said, because I want to be chairman of the board. And Rick said, uh, we don't have any boards to be chairman of around here. He said, I know. So I'm leaving to go find me a church where I can be chairman of a board. And, uh, you know, that was not very Baptist of Rick to say, see ya. Now, you may think that's ugly. That, to me, that's a blessed subtraction. Because when our motives are to lift us up, we can't lift two people up at one time. We can't lift up Jesus and ourselves at the same time. Wouldn't it be interesting <clears throat> if all of a sudden Alicia hit a button and, and the screen went dark and your motive appeared up on the screen? What would it be? Well, may I just say this to you? In the courts of heaven, your motives are already on the screen. And the one who counts is the one that can see it. <laughs> Thank you, Alicia. <laughs> I feel better now. The truth is, the truth is that God's kind of church has the right witness because it has the right model. Try to be like Jesus. Tries to be like the church that Jesus designed, the Acts 2 Jerusalem church, the, first, the Thessalonian church. Establish the right way, exhibiting the right witness, and thirdly, and thirdly, it embraces the right wisdom. I got to thinking about this as I read and studied this chapter. All of us know this, that to make up who you are, there's at least four things, there's probably more if you're on psychologist or sociologist you'll correct me but you have intellect you have knowledge 
you have experience, and you have wisdom. Intellect is the capacity that you have. Just the raw capacity that you have. Knowledge is how much you have applied yourself to actually learn. Experience, I don't have to tell you what that is. That's the hard knocks of life. Now, as a general rule, if you apply yourself in those three areas, wisdom will come. However, just because you've had those three, if you didn't apply them right, don't necessarily mean you're wise. I've met people in their 20s that were wise beyond their years. And I've met people in their 70s who were years beyond their wise. You see, folks, this church had been through some hard knocks. As we'll get to in just a second, they, they had been under, under the gun back there when Paul, when Paul was in Thessalonica. And they rose above those struggles to become the model church. Now, how did they do that? No, no. I'll just give you three thoughts and we're done. First of all, they showed their wisdom in a way that preserved their reputation. Now, you say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. I don't see anything here that says they're trying to preserve their reputation. Well, let me tell you what you do see here. You see a church that's focused on doing God's business and not on their business. Do you know the best way to protect your rep- reputation? To stay busy doing what's right. <laughs> Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You see, when you're busy doing what the Lord wants you to do, you don't have to worry about somebody talking about you and telling what, you've d- what you haven't done or what you have done because it's very obvious that you've been on task for doing what God has called you and me to do. And when we're on task, you know what happens? Just like here. He says, uh, uh, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith has gone out. And you know what? You have a good reputation, so we don't have to do anything to defend you. You see, we control our reputation. A reputation is one of those things that it takes um, a lifetime to build and just a few seconds to destroy a church reputation is very important. Do you know when people walk, come to a town, they'll ask around, they'll go, uh, y'all got any good churches? Well, yeah, we do. It's up in Gardendale. It's over in Hoover. No, we don't want that to be. I wonder, I wonder, what would our reputation be in Hueytown. Have we been on point enough reaching people for Jesus, serving people, sharing our hurts, that people see us as a church that are purveyors of truth and givers of life, sharers of the gospel? You know what? We can think that we're smarter than God, but real wisdom comes when we have intellect, God-given intellect, and we apply to that intellect knowledge of his word. And then we, then we, as our filter comes to experiences of life, so we go, okay. And all of a sudden, 
We've become wise beyond our years. You remember that story I told you before? The man had sat in the second position in the company for many, many years, and he'd watched the top guy, his boss, make wonderful decisions. In fact, his boss was known to make wonderful decisions. Finally, his boss was retiring. And the number two guy went to him and said, Hey, boss, I'm honored to be given this position, but you have known. Why do you think you've been so successful? And he goes, Well, good decisions. He said, Well, that's great. Wait a second. How did you make all those good decisions? He said, Bad decisions. How many bad decisions do we have to make to learn? You see, a bad decision can either destroy us or build us. Depends on what we do with it. God's kind of church is the one that has become wise because, as we'll see just next, if you try to do what God wants you to do, there are going to be problems. And when the problems come along, it's not a matter that they come along that makes you weak. It's a matter of what you do when they come along. You see, if we're going to embrace the, the right wisdom like they did, we preserve reputation by not focusing on the reputation, but by focusing on the master and our mandate. They not only did that, but they also persisted in the face of resistance. If you read here in verse 6, you became imitators of us, and of the Lord when, in spite of severe, not just some kind of persecution, severe persecution. Back in Acts uh, uh, chapter 17, you'll find out that when the number of uh, God-fearing Jews, as well as a large number of leading ladies, as well as many others joined the church, the Jews became jealous. And when they brought together scoundrels from the marketplace and formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar. And you see, it goes on to say that those folks drugged Jason and some, of the, and some of the brothers before the city officials. And they said, these men, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Well, all I want to say, I'll echo what um, um, Pastor in Birmingham said. They didn't turn the world upside down. They got out there and tried to turn the world right side up because the world is already upside down. But how often do church do churches... Today, get in the middle of a struggle and decide to back off. It's easier to cut and run than it is to stand toe-to-toe with Satan. By the way, oh, Brother Jerry, I don't have to worry about Satan. He doesn't bother me. Well, you need to worry then. The only person you will never run face-to-face with is someone who's going the same direction you are. The truth is, is that we need to learn to stand lovingly yet firmly in the face of persecution and resistance. We need to know God's Word. Remember that truth we was talking about, 1,100 to 2,500 pages this morning? We need to know God's Word. We need to be ready to defend God's Word. And when Satan sends the resistance, the persecution on us, we need to not lose our cool. We need to not start swinging like a bunch of heathen or, or southern rednecks. What we need to do is put on the whole armor of God and stand firmly against the forces of hell. That's the kind of church God wants. One who stands firm. Doesn't give in. Doesn't give up. 
That's the wisdom that only comes from him. This church that exhibited the right wisdom, not only did they exhibit the right wisdom by preserving their reputation and by persisting in the face of resistance, but I love this. They are the ones that look forward to the return. They look forward to the return. I want to say that again. They look forward to the return of Jesus. You can find that down there where it says, and to wait for his son, God's son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. God's kind of church is a second coming church. It is a church that has one eye on the everyday life and the other eye on the eastern sky has one ear to what's going on around them and another ear for the trumpet blast. It is a church. It is a people. It is you and me who live like we will live. Life goes on forever, and yet we expect our Lord to come before we go to bed tonight. Now, if you expect the Lord to come before you go to bed tonight, who is it that you're going to want to talk to in the next couple of hours? It may be the first person you may want to talk to is God himself. I get some things right. You know, Lord, I've hidden this. (laughs) I've hidden this from my preacher. I've hidden this from my deacons. I've even hidden it from my wife. But if I'm going to be standing before you, I know you have the eyes of fire that's spoken of in Revelation chapter 1, and I know that you're able to see to the very core of my being. You're able to see who I am. You're able to see me for who I am. I really am on the inside. You're able to see my wickedness. And Lord, I need to talk. If I'm going to meet you in a second, I need to talk through this before I get there. If you knew the Lord was coming back tonight at 10 o'clock and at 1030, you'd be standing before the the judgment seat of Christ. Would he be the first one you needed to talk to right now? And then when you got through with him and he got through with you, who would be next on your list? Let me just give you the secret that you know. You don't know that that timetable is not right. If there's someone that you have a problem with and you don't want to carry it before the judgment seat of Christ were to be dealt with in front of everybody, now's the time. You say, Brother Jerry, you have not mentioned one thing about loving one another. Well, listen. Salvation will not be your uh, foundation. Service will not be your function. And sharing will not be your focus if you don't love one another. You've not mentioned one thing about praying. Salvation will not be your foundation. Service will not be your function. And sharing will not be your focus if you're not praying. You see, everything we, everything that God wants in the church can be bound up right there. So I ask you, are we the kind of church God wants? Are we the kind of church that has placed in front of us the right model? Are we sending out the right message? 